And, uh, but Jesus Christ is honored here. I can hear it when you sing. And I love it. It's, uh, I hope you don't take this place for granted. I hope you understand that um, this is a place where Christ is honored. He is magnified. He is lifted up. And His Word is preached. God willing with integrity. So, I hope you don't take this place for granted. It's a place God has set aside for His international travelers to gather and worship the Lord. So I'm 62. I like being old. Actually, I like it. Um, I get to throw my, my weight around. I've actually done a few things. I've seen a few things. I've learned a few things. Um, so it's like when I speak, um, some people actually listen to me. They say, well, this guy's an old guy. Maybe he knows something. And uh, yeah, so I like that. The other reason I like being old is say, because I can say I'm, I'm too old. I can't lift that. And would you lift that for me? And I get people to lift stuff for me and carry stuff for me all the time. I like that too. Um, so, but for the most part, I've learned some things. And uh, I learned a good lesson when I quit my job at 42 and went to seminary. Those of you who know the story. Um, the Lord provided me with two part-time jobs. One was in a ministry and one was at a local business. Um, when... Uh, my first day, I still remember, at the business, uh, word spread quickly that there was a 42-year-old seminary student now on the payroll. And as the word spread, people wanted to come, uh, yeah, people wanted to come and talk to me. One, I, I felt like a, you know, an animal in the zoo. I was a spectacle in one sense, a 42-year-old guy in seminary, right? And uh, so these folks would come and, and uh, they'd want to talk a little theology. And if people know you're a Christian where you work, this probably happens to you, right? People want to t talk a little bit of theology. I realized, you know, things had radically changed for me. I was no longer Jim, the CPA accountant dude. I was now Jim, uh, yeah, seminary student and theologian and religious source of opinions. Um, and they would come. They would come. And they would talk to me. The, uh, the owner of the company started to call me the, the company chaplain. Joy came to me. She was a Jewish woman. And she wanted me to tell her that her Judaism would take her to heaven. Glenn was a Mormon. And Glenn wanted me to affirm that as a Mormon, he was a Christian. Uh, Bill was a Catholic. He wanted me to tell him that all his religious activity was a biblical pathway to heaven. Kathy was unfulfilled in her marriage and she just wanted me to tell her it was okay to divorce her husband. Ray was just a nice guy. Everybody liked Ray, right? <laughs> he was a nice guy. He paid his taxes. He mowed his grass. He was good to the neighbors. And on special occasions, he went to church. And Ray just wanted me to tell him that God likes nice guys. That you can just be a, a nice guy and go to church on occasion, and that's good. That's good with God. He was a nice guy. I remember Sharon. She had a pregnant teenage daughter, and she just wanted me to tell her it was okay for her daughter to abort the child. 
And Paul, the president of the company, he just wanted to know one thing. He wanted me to assure him there was no hell. <laughs> we had the discussion numerous times. And he never got the assurance he wanted from me. I mean, you know, because I hold to the Bible. I don't do other stuff. We, I actually believe this is God's Word, so I actually hold to the Scripture. And I would tell someone like Paul, well, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says this. This is not Jim. This is Jesus. So, um, yeah, I realized early in my first semester at seminary that I had become a theological authority and people wanted me to answer their questions. But I found out it was not that people wanted to come and hear the truth. People wanted to come and me affirm them in what they already believed. Do you know what I'm talking about? They didn't want to hear what God said. They really didn't want to know what God was saying. They just wanted me to affirm what they already believed. Not truly interested in what God thinks, but hey Jim, tell me I'm okay. Tell me it's good. That's all I want to know. Just tell me it's good. Just tell me I'm alright. So, human beings are odd creatures. We want the best phone and the best computer and the best car, the best clothes. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to church, we will settle for almost anything. I'm not talking to you tonight if you're a Christian, but I'm talking to those who are not. Anything will do. You know, I just want to check my box. Check my religious box. Yeah. Weird creatures. That we would demand authenticity at the mall, a name brand at the mall, but, you know, whatever the preacher says at church is just fine with me. So, um, yeah, those folks, those folks back in seminary, they just wanted, they just wanted a user-friendly God. That's what they wanted. They wanted a caricature of Jesus. And I know some of you have run into this. I've run into it many times. People just want, they don't want the biblical Jesus. He's a little too difficult. He's a little too radical. He's a little too stern. He's a little too strong. Give me a warm, fuzzy Jesus that will allow me to live my life the way that I would like. So, I go back to Romans 1 a lot. Romans 1.18, you know the story. What is it about mankind that makes him avoid the truth of God? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, mankind is suppressing the truth of God. You've heard me say it quite a few times. You might be a liar, but you're not an atheist. God's never made an atheist. The atheist has made by God written on his heart and his conscience. He knows God is there. He knows it. He may deny it, but he knows it. He's suppressing the truth. Romans 1.18 he is suppressing the truth of God that God has written on his heart. I looked at some of the other uh, translations, uh, especially some of the, the paraphrases. One says that, there's a sh that man puts a shroud over the truth, that he prevents the truth from being known, that he pushes the truth away from himself. The literal translation is, men hold it down. Men hold down the truth. I've seen it all my life since I've become a Christian. 
34 years. You just see men holding it down. They will not submit to it. They simply hold it down. So, and you know this is true, you're out in the world. Men will believe almost anything. Almost anything. But the truth of God. I mean Mormonism. Have you ever read Mormonism? It's cartoonish in the worst possible way. People believe this. Men will believe almost any lie rather than the truth of God. It's just a fact, beloved. I think most of you are well aware. So, as we've been seeing, God is a divine earthquake and every man or woman He encounters, He's an earthquake, right? He brings the truth full force and He shakes people's lives up. Anybody that encounters Jesus does not go away the same. He brings the truth. He brings the unvarnished truth. We saw it with Andrew, Peter, John, Philip, Nathaniel. He blew up their world and they just left everything and followed Him. We saw it with the money changers. The Lord Jesus ran them out of the temple. We saw it with Nicodemus. Jesus blew away all of His religious presuppositions about salvation. We saw it with the Samaritan woman as Jesus revealed her sin. And last week, we saw Jesus teach a royal official that believing is seeing. That that's how it works with God. So I hope you have your Bibles open to John chapter 5. Just to give you a little context, last week Jesus was in Galilee. This week He's back down in Jerusalem for a feast. He's at the pool of Bethesda. There are a multitude of people there waiting for healing. Uh, the pool was, was known to have medicinal qualities. And there were a multitude of people that were there. So, in one incident, Jesus is doing two things. Those of you who know the story, we did not read it earlier, but you know the story. Out of this multitude, Jesus chooses one man. And Jesus heals this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years. So this broken man, paralyzed and deformed man, he did what paralyzed men don't do, Simply because Jesus commanded it, Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. So Jesus is asserting His Creator authority. Right? Jesus is creating health where there is none. He's creating wholeness where there is none. Jesus is the Creator God. We're going to see it in John chapter 6. When He creates... uh, from just a handful of loaves and fish, a meal for probably up to 15,000 people. He just creates. He's the Creator God. He exerts His Creator authority. It's one thing He's doing here in the early verses of John chapter 5. And I want to say this. You know, sometimes we get a little distracted with the miracle. The miracle, if you, particularly in the Gospel of John, the miracles are always signs. We're supposed to learn something from the miracle. 
It's not that Jesus can do miracles. It's, that's not the point. The point is why is Jesus doing the miracle? He's asserting His Creator authority. The other thing Jesus is doing in this miracle is He does it on the Sabbath. Why does He do it on the Sabbath? Because He's going to take on the religious authorities. He knows that they're going to get exercised about this. He knows that He's going to have to do battle with religion, which the living God is always in battle with false religion. Pseudo-Judaism, pseudo-Christianity, and all of the other pseudo-religions in the world. So Jesus is going to teach the Pharisees, the Sabbath is Mine! I'm the Sabbath! I created the Sabbath! I rule the Sabbath! I do whatever I want on the Sabbath! I am God! This is what Jesus is going to say for the whole rest of the chapter. I am God! I am God. The Sabbath is Mine. I do whatever I please. That's why I read Psalm 115. God says, I do whatever I please in heaven and earth. He asks no man's permission, nor does He need it. He asks no man's counsel, nor does He need it. These are the two things that we are seeing here. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. And those of you who actually know your Bibles, you realize that Jesus does not actually break any biblical, biblical law. He breaks the rules that the Pharisees had established around the Sabbath. The, the, the Pharisees had taken the best day of the week, which was the day to rest and enjoy God. That's what the Sabbath is about. To rest and enjoy God. The, the Pharisees had taken the best day of the week and turned it into the worst. You had to be careful or you're going to break some pharisaical rule. So Jesus didn't actually break the law. He just broke their rules. So, Jesus is exercising His authority over the Sabbath. Let's pick up here at verse 16. John chapter 5. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17. But He answered them, My Father is working until now, and I Myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because He not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. It's interesting. The Pharisees understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Okay? And some people say, well, how do they get that He's, he's comparing Himself to God right here in, in verse 17 alone? Because they're there. They hear it. They hear the authority. They hear the power. They know what He's been doing the last several months. They know the rumors around His Messiahship. And then he says, my father, not the father, my father is working, right? My father is working until now, and I myself am working. I listened to John Piper on this text, and he said a beautiful thing. You know, God created the cosmos, and then he rested. And then you and I sinned, our forebears sinned. And Jesus is saying, God's back at work now. 
to redeem a people for the glory of His name. My Father is working and I am working. Right? What is, what is the work of God after creation? He's redeeming a people. He's redeeming a people out of sin and death and hell. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I work whenever I please. It's almost like it's between the lines. It's like He's saying, shut up! I do whatever I please. I'm bringing My people back to paradise. My Father is working and I am working. I'm bringing My people into an eternal Sabbath. It's what I'm doing. While you're worried about religious rules, I'm saving a people for the glory of my name. It's what I'm doing. And beloved, we talk a lot about we we talk about it a lot, right? People get so caught up in religion, even religion with the label Christianity on it, right? It has it has you know it's like it's like Jesus said said you don't know me. You don't know me. You, you know how to keep rules, but you don't know me. You don't love me. You don't worship me. You don't recognize me. If you were of my Father, you would know who I am. Who killed Jesus? Religious people. Right? The most religious men who ever walked the face of the earth, who actually knew the Old Testament revelation by heart, they killed God. Religion is a dangerous thing, beloved. I hope you understand that and I hope you will never become entangled in it. Christianity is relationship. I know this God. I love this God. I worship this God. I walk with this God. I obey this God. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. So the Jews clearly understood what He was saying. And the beautiful thing here is... There's no misunderstanding. Jesus doesn't try to clean it up. He doesn't try to correct the, the, uh, their assumption, their inference. He doesn't try to correct it. They're right. He is saying He's God. It's what He's saying all the way through the Gospel of John. For the next 28 verses, Jesus will be saying that He is God. By the way, If you know your Bibles, you know this. The Jews sought to take Jesus ten times to kill Him. They got Him on the eleventh time. Do you know why? What was different about the eleventh time? Pardon me? It was time. It was His hour. They couldn't take Him. They couldn't get Him. They couldn't kill Him. You know, Jesus says, no one takes my life. What? I'm doing this. I'm orchestrating the cross. God's orchestrating the cross because He loves you. Now, if this doesn't give you goosebumps, you're not understanding what I'm saying. God is orchestrating the cross because He loves you. You guys remember Acts 2.23 The Bible says the cross of Jesus was according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Of course, the men who killed Him, they were exercising their free will to sin. But in their free will to sin, God 
is ordaining the salvation of His people. <laughs> God can take the greatest evil in the history of the world, which is the cross, and He saves His people through it. This is how awesome our God is. So verse 17, Jesus is saying that He is God and He'll keep saying this for the rest of the chapter. It's an unapologetic assertion. And if Jesus is not God, then the Bible is worthless and we're wasting our time. I'm going to tell you again what C.S. Lewis says. Jim, you've already said this to us about three times in the Gospel of John. I know and I'm going to keep saying it to you. Jesus is either a lunatic or He's God. There's no place in the middle. We also talked about the fact that He could possibly be a demon. There are three options. He's a lunatic, He's a demon, or He's God. You have to decide. There's no other viable choice. He can't be a good prophet. Good prophets don't claim to be God. He can't be a good man. Good men don't claim to be God. He can't be a good moral teacher. Good moral teachers don't claim to be God. He did. You don't have to read anything else. You get this far in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying it, and He's allowing this assumption to stand in the minds of the Pharisees. He is either Christ or He's Antichrist. It's just the truth, beloved. So Jesus asserts who He is. And what does the Creator God do from His creatures? What what should, what should a creature owe his Creator? Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> he made you. He thought you up. He designed you. He made you. He's sustaining you just now. You owe him everything. I mean, is that real for you in your life? You see, everything to you. And then everything else comes under that, right? He's everything! God's first for me! Jesus Christ is first for me! And then everything else in my life is under His Lordship! My marriage, my career, my dreams, my hopes, my plans, my money, you know, my possessions. I, I use them all for the glory of Christ under the Lordship of Christ. Yeah. You know, many, and I've seen this, I've been a pastor a long time, many folks come to church on Sunday and they just want to tip their hat to God. They feel like they should do it. It's respect. It's admiration. God's not interested in your respect. He's not interested in your admiration. He doesn't need any fans. That's not what God is interested in. If you're not here to worship God, you should not come here. I want you to come here. But I don't want you to come and worship God in vain. This does not please the Lord. Beloved, He made you. Oh, He redeemed you. How could He ever be anything but first in your life? If you've rightly understood who He is and what he's done. Yeah, bad theology hurts people, as John Piper says. <laughs> because wrong thinking about God leads to wrong believing. Wrong believing leads to wrong living, which leads to wasted lives. 
I pray that you don't have any bad theology hanging around in your heart. I pray that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. You know, many churches, at least in the U.S., I don't know about where you're from, but uh, they, would, they would never preach um, John 5 in its entirety. There's just too much God here, right? Your average church in America, I know this because when we go home, I still visit around. I like to see what's going on. Your average church in America, they're preaching about you. It's all about you. It's about how God can make you happy and how God can make you healthy, wealthy, and rich. It's about you. It's how God can serve you. Can I tell you? Do I even have to say how wrong this is? This is why I love John 5. It's all about God. Human life is all about God. If we believe our Bibles, human life is all about God. Have you got that sorted out yet, beloved? Have you got that sorted out? Do you know it's all do you know your life is all about God? Do you know it and are you living like it's true? Jesus is going to say he's God for 28 verses. What are you going to do about it? What are you doing about it? Are you magnifying, magnifying Him in your life? And the beautiful thing is, Jesus says here, uh, let me pick up here, 19 and 20. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all the things that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him that you may marvel. Truly, truly, we know what this means. God, Jesus is just saying, this is, this is important. You need to get this. I'm about to say something that you never should forget. Jesus asserts His oneness with the Father. He and His Father do the same thing. The purpose is one purpose. They are in perfect accord. Whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. 100% you know, the exuberant God. <laughs> the exuberant God. When He saves, He saves to the uttermost. When He loves, He loves infinitely. When He gives, He gives lavishly. When He rewards, He rewards extravagantly. And when He judges, it is eternal and forever. Our God doesn't do anything half-heartedly. And Jesus says, I do what the Father does. Implicit in His remarks to the Jews is this, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. And you're accusing me, thereby you are accusing God. You are a blasphemer. This is in effect what Jesus is saying to the Jews. And yeah, we're talking about the Trinity here, right? The Godhead. That mystery that all other religions and most secular people really, really, they either laugh at it or they hate it. Or they think you're a fool for believing it, right? And you know my, my theory on the, the Godhead, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I never try to explain it. And I would say to you, don't ever try to explain it. You just worship. We don't explain the Trinity. We worship at the Trinity. I can't explain, particularly to someone who's not born again, that the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit are one God. You know, we know Islam critiques Christianity for this reason. It's the highest sin of Islam. Shirk, right? To attribute some plurality to God. God reveals the Trinity. He never explains it. This is what we should say to the world. You can't explain it. If you've got a good explanation, come and tell me so I can write a book about it. I'll give you a footnote. What makes you think you're supposed to understand God anyway? Piper's right. God is not principally to be understood. He is principally to be worshipped. That's your job. Say, Jim, there's a lot of things I don't understand about God. I don't understand what you're not supposed to always understand. You may understand in retrospect. You're supposed to worship. Basta. Worship. Just worship. So, we're dealing with the Trinity. It's a mystery. And any man with any sense will not try to explain it. Because we cannot. And Jesus says, hey, you're going to marvel, man. It's like, you know, I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of, of verse 20 here. He says, you haven't seen the half of it. You haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. And that's true for us. We know Jesus is going to fill up the Gospel of John and the Gospels with all kinds of miracles. We haven't seen anything yet. But the truth for you and me is, for a billion eternities, we will not have seen anything yet. After one billion eternities, we will not have seen anything yet. Do you understand my point? God will amaze you every nanosecond for a billion eternities. And then for the second billion eternities, you will be in awe of this God. Jesus says, you will marvel. We will marvel at who He is and at what He has done. Verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. So, the Son has the power. Father and Son have the power to give life. Physical life, and spiritual life. There's a bit of a debate here among scholars. What's he referencing here? Physical or spiritual? What difference does it make? He gives both. He's the only one that can give life. You know, science... <laughs> you read about the origin of life. Science is clueless. They have, they have, they're clueless. I mean, if you take God out of the calculus, there's no, there, there's, there's no hope. There's no hope for life. Life is so infinitely complex at the cellular level, right? That science has no clue how it could ever be possible. In fact, I was reading one scientist who said, one Nobel Prize winner, he said, yeah, I know this extends, it just simply extends the, uh, the argument back, back a, a ways, but he says, I think Earth had to be seeded with uh, you know, alien life forms. They seeded Earth with life. Because it's so complex, even if you say the earth is 4.5 billion years old, it's not enough time for the Darwinian evolution to work. That's how complex life is, beloved. God gives life, both physical and spiritual. But one thing I wanted to say here about verse 21, 
Jesus gives life to whom He wishes. He's sovereign in this. We always talk about, when we talk about salvation, we talk about the sovereignty of God. Right? 1 Samuel 2.6 The Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. Psalm 115 I do whatever I please. Beloved, <laughs> we just need to worship this awesome God. So Jesus breathes life into the nostrils of Adam. And, and Adam becomes a living being. That's Genesis 2.7. Acts 17.28 In Him we live and move and have our being. He is sustaining he is sustaining us. And then, of course, you guys know Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 1. Even though you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, I will make you alive. I will cause you to be born again. We know Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. John chapter 11. And we know Jesus Himself will come out of the tomb. God's in charge of life. God's in charge of Life. You guys know that famous verse, 1 John 5.12, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Verse 22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ says to these Jews, He says to you and He says to me, If I am not your Savior, I will be your judge. It's what Jesus says. All judgment has been given to me. Jesus will judge. It's what the Word of God says. Every man and woman will stand before Him and give an account. And Jesus is saying, I give life. If you do not receive the life I give, you will receive the judgment I give. And we'll talk more about that next week. Verse 23, In order that all my honor... Uh, all, may, all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. I reference this in my prayer. All honor belongs to Jesus Christ. How does that impact the way you live when you get up on Monday morning? All honor belongs to Him. You guys know the famous text. Therefore also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 5.13 Every created thing will acknowledge the honor and glory and worth of Jesus Christ. You will see it. It will happen one day. The holy angels and redeemed man in heaven and the demons and lost man in hell, every knee will bow, every tongue will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen. You will see it. We will see it, beloved. So Jesus is proclaiming His deity in no uncertain terms. And He has told us in these last few verses that He and the Father work in unison. That He is in the Godhead. That the Father loves the Son and reveals all things to the Son. Jesus has the power to grant life, both physical and spiritual, to whomever He wishes. 
that all judgment belongs to Jesus and that all honor and worship from every intelligent moral creature is His due. And that if we do not honor Christ, we have dishonored God. You know what? If you never hear another sermon, you're accountable. You're accountable. You know who Jesus says He is. If you never hear another sermon, you are accountable. You know who He says He is. Then you have to decide, what does that look like in your life? What does that mean in my life? What does it look like in my marriage and in my career and in my hopes and aspirations? What does it look like? How do I incarnate the truth that Jesus Christ is God and all honor is His? Is He getting all honor in your life? Or is it pretty much all about you? Beloved, we all struggle with these things, but my point is the, the born-again maturing Christian will always be submitting in all humility before Christ Jesus and His Word. It's what the true believer is about. So this is the truth. You've heard the truth. The ultimate truth of the cosmos, Jesus is God. Nobody else is God. Jesus is God. You know the truth. So how will you live it? Everything's about Him. You know, I say it this way. <laughs> From the, you know, one-celled creature under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean to the asteroid on the farthest side of the cosmos, right? 13.5 billion light years away. It's about Christ. Algebra's about Christ. Bumblebees are about Christ. Right? E minor's about Christ. You say, Jim, I don't understand. Then you don't understand who He is. All honor belongs to Jesus Christ. So, let me close. There are two choices. There are not three. There are two. For those of you who are not born again, these are your two choices. For those of you who are born again, I want you to listen so you can share this with your friends and family. There are only two choices. Now, there's a third choice that people try to play the game. You know, people try to play the game with God. They try to play Christianity. And, uh, yeah, they, they show up and they kind of, they're kind of lukewarm about it, but they show up. Um, listen, that's not, that's, yeah, that doesn't please God. We know from Revelation chapter 3. He said, the lukewarm I'll spew out of my mouth. There are two valid, there are two valid choices for you and for every man and woman. You will come to Christ and receive life or you will stand before Him and receive judgment. You say, Jim, that's not a happy message. Well, in one sense it is. If you're lost, you need to know how to be found. If you're dead, you need to know how to be alive. Well, how to be alive is to come to Jesus Christ. Don't do religion. Come to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Because if you don't, 
By default, the other choice is yours. You will be judged by Him. Jim, that's not happy. It's the truth. It's what God says. You know, do you love people enough to tell them the truth? This is, what, this is where we are in this postmodern age, this relativistic age. Do you love people enough to actually tell them the truth? This is where we are in the world, right? There used to be a day when it was easier to be a Christian and to actually speak about these things because people actually believed in truth. Ultimate truth. Absolute truth. There's a certain percentage of people out there that don't simply they don't believe in it anymore, which is irrational and absurd. But they are out there. So I've learned a couple of things. <laughs> Most people don't want the truth. But if we're Christians tonight, we have the truth. And we're supposed to love people enough to tell them the truth. Can you love people enough to tell them the truth, beloved? This is why we are still on the planet. You can't play religion with God. He sees right through it. He's not interested. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Have you come to Christ? Have you believed? Do you belong to Him? Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, and this is the close of the sermon. Please listen. Verse 24, John chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into judgment. I like that. This is present tense. Have you believed? then you have eternal life. Present tense. You have it right now. And it's what I always say to you. Then how can you live it small in the world? If you have it, you can't live it small in the world. You have to talk about it. You know, how many of you know Rita? She was here this week. <laughs> we, had, we had Rita. I mean, Rita's like, you know, she's like effervescent with Jesus, right? If you know her. We, she spent the night with us the other night and we talked for six straight hours about Jesus. It's all she wants to talk about. <laughs> you know? And that's okay with Karen and I. We love talking about Him. You know, if you really get it, you really understand it, you can't, you, it can't be small to you and you cannot live it small. You can't do it. You simply can't do it. So, Jesus says, I am the Sabbath. I've come to redeem the Sabbath. I'm bringing My people to an eternal Sabbath. And they have life now. And this is what I'm challenging you as I close. Will you go out the door and be a light to the world? Will you live the glory of Christ before your friends and colleagues and family and neighbors? We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. Uh, the way we do this...